obviously we kind of have the North Shore beaches and the South Shore beaches right here on Long Island. And South Shore beaches have those incredible currents. And sometimes those, those things are a little scary, right? I mean, sometimes you get out there in a current, before you know it, it's kind of carrying you out a little ways and it can kind of be a little scary. Well, there are other currents in life that try to kind of capture us and pull us in as well. And I think you'll relate to some of these. I don't know about the first one. The first one is definitely one of my struggles. But um, every football season... I am pulled in by the current that says eat more food while watching football, okay? It just happens. And so I gain more weight, you know, and then I get into the spring and I start playing softball and I start running and I'm getting a little, a little, a little slim down. It gets harder every year as I get older. But then, man, football season, again, I always get pulled back in. I, I, I tape the games on Sundays while I'm here at church and then... Like one of the biggest things on my mind is what am I going to eat while I watch the game? I can't be like a yogurt or a quiche, you know what I mean? It's got to be something with like spice, you know, buffalo wings or, or meatball parm here or something just manly, you know? And so that's one of the things I always kind of get pulled into. Um, another one that we all deal with is the fashion trends, the fashion trends. And I can tell you that I've lived long enough now to know what it's like to see a fashion trend come and go and come back again. I've now just crossed that barrier pretty recently, and it's kind of depressing. But anyway, um, and so what is going on right now? I don't know if you're aware of this, but we're actually starting more and more to live in the late 80s, early 90s, just so you guys are knowing, okay? More and more, that's the fashion trend going. And, and to prove it to you, it's, this isn't the best picture. If I had access to my parents' photo you know, collection, I would have had a better shot of this. But you can kind of see it here. I'm the middle guy in this picture, and this is the early 90s, and there I am, and me and my friends, we were laying down a track for like this horrible demo we were making. But anyway, um, and you can see there, I have what is called the undercut haircut, okay? So that's buzzed all around, and I had really long hair on the top. And in there, I actually had it pulled back on the top of my head. Nice little ponytail is rocking there, okay? And you know what? That's back now. Like, you look around, and you see that. And some of you are going, yo, don't make fun of that. I'm wearing that. You got sucked in. You got pulled into the current, right? Another thing that's coming back, I never thought I'd see the day, but the MC Hammer pants are coming back. You remember these, right? Dude, those are coming back. I promise you. If you Google MC Hammer pants later on, you'll see like Justin Bieber wearing them. You'll start, they're coming back. It's horrifying. I don't know what's going on. But there are these currents, you know? And I never thought the 80s would make the comeback. I thought there was like some laws passed about that. But apparently they made it through. Another current that you and I kind of get sucked into has to do with the words that we use. You know, like isn't that incredible where you, you hear a word used and suddenly more and more people start using that word. Um, in the 50s, the word for cool was hip. Everyone said hip. Yo, that's so hip, right? Then in the 60s, it was groovy, right? It was groovy. That's what cool was. In the 70s, you'd say, I dig it. I dig it. That, that's what, that was cool. In the 80s, it got, again, really weird. I don't know. It was rad or bodacious. What does that even mean, right? Bodacious, right? So bodacious, dude, right? Now, in the 90s, all males in human history got set up for something we didn't see coming. Because what happened was the word was fat. Fat was cool. But then you'd get in trouble because you'd go, baby, that outfit makes you look so fat. And she'd be like, what? You know, not that fat. You know, like the other fat, the one with the pH at the beginning, right? And so that happened. Then the 2000s was sweet. And then now the kids are saying this today. They're saying on point, right? That's so on point, yo. It's so on point, right? Or killing it. Yo, he was killing it, right? And so, so you know what? We get kind of pulled into these different trends, all right? Well, there's another current. There's another current out there that doesn't have to do with fashion or food or what we say. It's the current that's trying to pull every single Christian and every church in. And here, here's what the current is. The current that we have to wrestle against is the current that tries to pull us away from lost people. 
That's, that's every Christian's struggle. It's every church's struggle because the current out there is constantly trying to pull us away from those that need a savior. It's trying to more and more get us just worried about ourselves. You know, if, if the room feels good for a church and everything's going pretty well and the ministries are growing, then you know what? We're doing good. And we, we take our eyes off of the hundreds of thousands around us that still need a savior. Right? Even in our own personal lives, I think sometimes what we do is we kind of get spiritually obese. What I mean by that is we got like all our spiritual stuff out and we're kind of growing our relationship with God and we're just stuffing our face, you know, trying to get closer to Jesus, so to speak. But in reality, there are all these people around us we live by every day at school and at work and in our homes. And it's like we're supposed to share with them. Did we forget that? We're supposed to share with those around us. The food, the spiritual food, the hope that we have in God. It just becomes so easy for us to get distracted. And that's why this is such a problem. Because Jesus left us with a huge mission. And the mission was, tell everybody about me. Tell the lost who I am. Go and reach those who don't know me yet. And we so easily kind of get distracted. I know it's true of me sometimes. We just get off course. Life just happens. We get busy. We have vision for work or what our family could be. And, and it's just sometimes it feels like another thing. But the truth is, it is the only thing. It's the most important thing. And we so easily get distracted. My son Landon is an amazing kid. He's so much fun. He cracks us up all the time. But you know what? This is like the most distracted person I've ever met in my life. Poor little dude, right? He's so distracted. And so you'll give him a mission. You'll say, Landon, go get your shoes on. And you tell him like 10, 11 times, and he still hasn't done it. The other day, I literally said, Landon, go get your shoes. And I walked with him, and I saw him pick them up. And I thought to myself, victory, right? They're in his hands. That's kind of like his feet, you know? (laughs) We're getting close. It's a body part, okay? I'll take it. And so I thought he was going to sit down and put the shoes on. And so I went into another part of the house, and I came back a few minutes later, and he's laying on our stairs, holding the shoes, looking up at the ceiling, smiling. I'm like, what is going on? He's just in a different world. I feel like going, la, 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 Landon's world. Like, like, where are you, bro? You know, he's like off in some galaxy fighting with Luke Skywalker, you know? And as soon as I wake him back up, like, he's not trying to be disobedient. He's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, my shoes, you know? So completely distracted. But you know what? I feel like maybe Jesus is looking at us going, what world are you guys in? Like, wake up. Don't get distracted. Don't get into the pulled into the current that pulls you and I away so easily from carrying out our mission, which is to love the lost, which is to point the lost to Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to be talking to you a lot tonight, and I'm going to be talking to Christians a lot tonight. I'm going to be kind of bouncing back and forth. And I completely understand the thought that may be running through some of your heads right now, and that's this thought. I don't really like that he's calling me lost. It sounds derogatory. I don't like that. What does that mean that I'm lost? You know, does loss carry some kind of a negative connotation? And the truth is no. You guys remember that show Lost that was on TV several years ago? And remember how they got lost and stranded on that island, right? The reality was the fact that they were lost had nothing to do with their intelligence or their worth or their value or their ability. The fact that they were lost was simply a location. They were separated from everyone else. And you know what? Every single person that's been born in human history has been born on an island, so to speak. And that island is called sin. And that sin separates every single one of us, myself at the top of that list, from God. And so the difference between you as someone who may say, yeah, I guess I'm your lost person, 
difference between you and anyone in the room that would say, yeah, well, I'm found, is just simply that God found us. Like, I didn't find myself. I didn't do a bunch of good things to make myself found, okay? And so we're all in the same boat, completely needing the grace of Jesus to find us. Okay, so as I talk to you through this message, and I, really the only reason I'm even using that word lost is because that's the terminology we see here in Scripture. It's this idea of lost and found and lost and found. So don't, don't sit back and say, oh man, this is derogatory and this is kind of against me and offensive to me. No, no, no. I'm actually going to show you tonight that if you're lost, you are incredibly valued. Incredibly valued. So valuable to God. And you know what? That's every one of us. Valuable to God, every one of us, lost without the hope that Jesus gives. And so we're going to look at this, and I'm excited about this because it's something that God's driving home in my heart, and I think that God has some big things for us to do on Long Island. And so we're going to look here at a little bit of background on what's going on. Jesus is about to model for us so well what we're talking about tonight. He's going to model it, and then he's going to tell a couple stories, and those stories reinforce what he's modeling so well. And I just want to tell you, the reason Jesus does what he does and then tells these stories is not so we'll all sit back and go, man, Jesus is so great. I mean, Jesus is great, but he wants us to catch the vision. He wants us to follow what he's doing and be like him in this. And so I'm going to, again, I'm going to be bouncing back and forth between talking to Christians and not Christians and lost and found and all that, and we're all going to just hang out here in this story. So this is Luke chapter 15, and in verse 1, I love what this says. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, which I just think that, that one verse, you could probably spend like a few weeks talking about just that one verse. How many, just think about it, how many Christians do you know that a bunch of sinners gather around to hear and hang out with, right? Doesn't that seem like just a completely different world? Like there was something about Jesus that attracted these people to him. There's something about Jesus. He's, he's on mission. He's going for the lost, and he's looking to those that need him. And you know what? If I was around in the day Jesus walked around this earth, then he would have been looking for me because I'm just as lost as anybody else, Right? And so here's Jesus, and, and, and there are some things about Jesus I think we have to understand. You see, I think Jesus, and this is such a key, I think Jesus was never shocked by anybody's sin. I think that's part of our problem as Christians. We get shocked. We get appalled. We get pushed back. We get, ooh, man, that's, that's so unclean. How can I be near that? And Man, who are we? But people who were once lost on the same island. Who are we but people who still mess up sometimes, too? And you know what, Jesus, I don't think, you know, when he was sitting hanging out with the people that were seeking him out here, I don't think if they, if they cursed or swore that he was clearing his throat and looking at him like, come on. I don't think that shocked him. If they started talking about something that made him really uncomfortable, I don't think he rolled his eyes and got up and just walked away from the table. No, because listen, you ready? So, so powerful, you ready? Jesus' goal wasn't to get people to stop cursing and to stop talking about things that they shouldn't be talking about. His goal was to save their souls. And as long as you and I are focused on words coming out of people's mouths that we don't agree with or we don't think are proper or we don't think should be said, well, hey, that's a whole other thing. It's all about the person's heart. Those things are just outward, you know, outward issues that have nothing to do with the, the matter which is their heart. That's what it's all about. And so Jesus somehow attracted all the people that you and I tend to push away. 
And I think Jesus was on mission here, and I think he was, he was relentless in accomplishing that mission of loving the lost and showing them that he valued them, and he wasn't going to let anything they did or said push him away from them. And so I think that's such a powerful thing here. And he models this so well. And then we see there's this other group, which sometimes I think Christians can kind of sound a lot like. Okay, so Jesus is kind of modeling this real well. I'm here for the lost. I'm here to rescue. I'm here to love. I'm here to serve. I'm here to give myself. Jesus is eventually going to get on a cross for the sinners like, that gathered around him like you and I would have if we were there that day. But then there's this other group, and they think they're holy, and they think they're righteous. And, and look what they say in, in verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So they're, they're watching Jesus hang out. And I think, honestly, a lot of it had to do with jealousy because everybody's seeking Jesus out. But there they are, and they're muttering uh, loud enough, apparently, for Jesus to hear that, man, how, how can this guy, you know, who are these people he's hanging out with and associating with? What's, what's going on? Why is he doing this? I absolutely think that the Pharisees would have not really liked our, our homeless ministry too much, you know? I don't think the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law here, I don't think they would have liked when our bathroom smells like cigarettes sometimes after service. I don't think they would have liked Easter time when we move services all around and people are in your favorite seat and they parked in your spot. And I think they would have had a real problem with that, right? But you know what? I got to tell you, one of the things I love about being a pastor at this church is that I don't see a lot of Pharisee in you guys. I really don't. And I'm so grateful for that. I don't see a lot of the teachers of the law in you guys. I see people who are excited about the lost of Long Island coming to know Jesus. And so what I'm talking about here tonight is really to reaffirm what I think we are already about. You know, I want to talk about it because I know what church world is like. And I've been in so many churches in my life and seen so many churches in my life that the more successful, so to speak, they get, the more that current catches them and they just worry about the people in the room and they forget about everybody outside. And so let's reaffirm and kind of reevaluate and refocus on this mission that Jesus has given us to be like him in pursuing the lost. And so the Pharisees kind of muttered their little deal. How can Jesus eat with these people? And then it says in verse 3, Then Jesus told them this parable. Well, who did he tell the parable to? Well, we have a group around Jesus. We have a bunch of sinners, and then we have the Pharisees and the religious leaders somewhere close enough where they could hear and be heard, right? And so Jesus, I think, kind of turns away from the sinners, though they're still listening, and he looks at the religious leaders and the Pharisees, and he starts to tell them this story. Verse four, suppose one of you has a 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now you and I are like, what's up with the sheep and the shepherd? Like, this is weird. This is not, I don't, I've never seen a shepherd or maybe a sheep except at a petting zoo. You know what I mean? Well, what's this? And, but, but the thing is, is Jesus is telling this at a time when there would have been shepherds all over the, over the place. And so as Jesus is saying this, yeah, you know what? If a shepherd has 99 and one goes out, he, he leaves. And, and the shepherds that were in the crowd that day would have been nodding their heads. They would have been completely in agreement. Like, yeah, this is what we would do. We would go look for the sheep. And, you know, there were probably some Pentecostal shepherds in the crowd going, that's right, Jesus, you tell them, preach it, bro. You know what I mean? And then there were probably a couple of Presbyterian shepherds in the crowd and just kind of, you know, silently nodding, you know, like this. And there were probably a few Baptist shepherds in the crowd that were arguing about whether the sheep was really predestined to the flock in the first place, you know, and so some of that was probably going on. But you know what I love about this? I love about this 
that the, the shepherds are standing there hearing what Jesus is saying and they're nodding their heads in agreement that they know they would go after that one sheep. Why? Why? Because that one sheep is so valuable. Why would you leave all the others? That's a lot of money. If you're a shepherd, you're going to leave 99 of your sheep. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of resources. It's a lot of responsibility you're walking away from to go get the one. Yeah, and the shepherds are all going, no, Jesus is right. I do exactly that. Because every sheep is that valuable. And if one is lost, I'm going to go do whatever I have to do to find it. Do you see how important the loss should be to you and I who have been found? And if you here tonight would say, hey, I'm probably in that loss category, do you see the value that Jesus has for you? You see, in this story, ultimately, Jesus is this shepherd. He's the one. He's telling the religious leaders, this is what I'm doing. I'm like the shepherd. I'm the one who came, and I'm hunting down and pursuing and lovingly looking everywhere for that lost sheep. Then he goes on a little bit. In verse 5, he says, And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And you know what? Again, the shepherds there, they would have been nodding their head because this is exactly what a shepherd in that day would have done. If they found a sheep, you know, maybe hurt, maybe caught in like, you know, a thorn bush or something or on the edge of a cliff or whatever, go over there, he'd pick that thing up and just carry it off. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus did for every single one of us in this room at one point or another. Every one of us that put our trust in him, he lifted us and he carried us. And, and you know what? I really want you to hear this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're going maybe, all right, I, I hear you, Doug, but my guess is that when Jesus got to me and saw me in, what condi- in the condition that I really am in, he would probably never pick me up. He, he'd look at me and go, oh, this one's got anger issues. I'm going to go find another sheep. I thought I was going after somebody valuable, but I, I, I got a you know, second glance here and I realized, oh, oh, oh this one's got a porn struggle. Well, you know, maybe when he or she cleans themselves up and gets rid of that, then I'll pick him up and I'll kind of carry him off. And you know, see, the beautiful thing about our Savior is he comes over and he says, you have a porn struggle. Can I carry you? You have an anger issue. You have an addiction. You have tremendous anger and hate in your heart. Can I carry you? Can I pick you up? Joyfully, it says. Jesus, Jesus doesn't look at you if you're a lost sheep and say, wishing I have to say this one. Don't want to pursue him. Don't want to pursue her. No, joyfully picks them up and brings them home. He goes on. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And so God says, hey, you know what a shepherd does when he finds that sheep? He throws a party. And so Christians in the room, That's how excited we should get about people coming to know our Savior. And non-Christians in the room, that's how excited Jesus is about you and your potential to walk in a relationship with him. And this isn't just kind of part of the story because Jesus transitions out of the story or the parable here and he goes just into regular conversation with them. He says, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so there's a literal party in heaven. The day I put my faith in Jesus, there was a party in heaven in my honor. And that's true for every single person who puts their trust in him. And I got to tell you, when Jesus was saying this about the righteous people who don't need to repent, I'm pretty sure he was doing air quotes. 
I'm pretty sure he read it like this. I tell you, in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law weren't righteous. They just thought they were. They, they didn't repent because they were arrogant. And Jesus is saying, hey, you need this as much as any one of these lost people because you're just as lost as they are. After that, he tells another story that's similar. In verse 8, he says, Or suppose a woman who has ten silver coins and loses one, or has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Doesn't she hunt for that lost coin? It's valuable to her. My daughter Brain got an iPod Touch for Christmas, and she loses it basically every day. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's a talent she has. And recently, she lost it and hasn't been able to find it again. And she honestly has been just like this woman. She's like swept the house clean. She's looked everywhere for it. She's literally come to me with tears in her eyes streaming down her face. And I just laugh. No, I'm kidding. I feel terrible. I'm like, honey, I'm going to help you. We'll find it, you know. And, and you know what? She hasn't found it. Yet, but when she does, I'm probably going to staple it to her hand so she can't ever lose it again, right? Oh, iPod here, pain, but iPod. Um, but, but you know what? This woman's doing the same thing. She is sweeping the house. She's looking for this thing that she values. I just wonder, guys, man, imagine if I loved the lost as much as my daughter loves her iPod. Imagine if I walked around with tears streaming down my face from my friends that don't know Jesus. An iPod, what's an iPod? You know, she's gonna want the new model probably next week, right? But the lost knowing Jesus, eternal salvation, forgiveness of sins, one who will pick them up right out of their struggle like he's done for me. Imagine if I was that passionate, if we were that passionate. And then verse nine, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know what? These verses show me that Jesus really, really, really cares about the lost. And if you're lost here tonight, he really cares about you. And it's not an an issue of you being unintelligent or not worthy or valuable or anything like that. Every one of us is on the same exact playing field. Lost without a savior. And what I want you guys to really get down deep in your heart tonight is that if Jesus fell into that same current that so many churches do and so many Christians do, you know what I think he would have done? I think he would have just stayed in heaven. He was comfortable. He was at peace. He, he didn't need us. What were we going to do? Give him more headaches, right? But his love for you and I, the lost, was so great that he said, I'll go. I'll go. And I'll die in their place. And like a good shepherd, I will seek them out. And I'll show myself to them. And I'll lift them up and put them on my shoulders right in the middle of their mess. you got to imagine that a, a shepherd who finds a sheep who's been lost and wandering, that sheep's probably nasty. It's probably a mess. It might be cut and bleeding. And that's some of us. And Jesus wants to pick us up just like that in that condition. If you're not a follower of Jesus here tonight, you know what I want you to think about for a second? The fact that when you take 
all of the gods and religions and everything else and line him up, line them all up next to Jesus, you see an amazing difference between Jesus and everyone else. Because you know what's true about Jesus is not true about anybody else with all respect to all religions and all ways of thinking. The truth is, is Jesus is the only good shepherd out of them all. He's the only one who pursues the lost sheep. Do you know what every other God and religion says? Oh, you're stuck on an island, you can't get yourself off of? We'll keep working at that. You know, clean yourself up. Those shepherds say to that sheep, yeah, you, you are kind of bloody and messy. You, you clean yourself up first, then maybe I'll pick you up and put you on my shoulders. Once you've shown me, you're worth it. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'm gonna pursue and I'm gonna go myself as the good shepherd. And that puts Jesus in the category all his own. And so Jesus tells us these stories to show us how much he loves the lost, to show you if you are the lost tonight, how much he loves you. And the reason he tells us, followers of Jesus, these stories, and he models in the way that he did loving those who needed him, was so you and I will do exactly what he did. He's not trying to entertain us with these stories. He's trying to get us to be like him. And so what I want you guys to really grab a hold of tonight is this thought that Jesus wants us to love the lost like he does. That's his heart for every one of us. Jesus wants us to love those who need him just like you, just like he does, just like he's done for you and for me. And so I kind of just want to get really practical for the last little part of our message here. I want to ask two questions. I want you really to ask two questions. The first one is what can we do? If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, what can we do for those that need our Savior? And the second question I want you to ask yourself is, what can I do? Okay, because I think some of this is like what we can do together, and some of it is just what you can do, each of you, individually. And I know we all hear the, you know, the, the, the thoughts in our head go, oh, Doug, that's what you're here for. That's what the staff's here for. You guys are supposed to do this, right? No, see, the truth is, guys, is together, God's going to do something powerful through us, but also individually. And you'll see what this looks like. But I'm excited about some of the things we're going to talk about here because I think that God really has for us to kind of step up our heart for our area, our heart for our island, our heart for our specific town, and just begin to see God do some really neat things. And I always want to say to you guys that we are never going to be this seeker-friendly church that does everything for those who don't know Jesus. Our heart at this church, as you guys know, is to have this insider-outsider focus. Every service, we want it to help a Christian grow deep in their faith, and we want those who come in and have no idea who Jesus is to be engaged. And even if they're not convinced at the end of the service, we want them to walk out going, maybe there's a God. I'm going to continue to look. I'm going to continue to explore this because if there's a God who loves me, even if I can't feel it yet, can't see it yet, don't know it yet, I'm going to continue to seek this out. And so, you know, don't freak out and think, oh, wow, we're just about that. No, we're going to stay balanced in our heart to continue to reach both of these groups. But let's start out with what can we do? What can we do to love the lost like Jesus can? Well, here's, here's a big thing I think we can do together. I want us to go out of our way to be loving in church. When we're gathered here, I want us to go out of our way to be really loving in church. And the reason that's true is because John, Jesus' disciple, said this, that the world's going to know that we're Jesus' disciples by the way that, not not just that we love, but the way that we love each other. And you know what? I, I would guess that there are people here in the room tonight that don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I would guess that one of the things they're doing, and they're smart to do this, is they're looking at how you and I treat each other. They're seeing if we're the real thing. 
Do we forgive like our Savior forgives us? Do we love each other selflessly? Do we put each other first? Because that's the mark of a true Christian. You know what? If people come in, you know what? The Bible doesn't say that a great message, a great band, cool production, and fog is going to save anybody. Right? That doesn't distinguish us as Christians. Actually, it makes us more sound like a nightclub. But anyway, um, really more what does it for you and I and for the people that walk in is the love of God coming alive through our hearts. So would you be loving? And yes, of course, would you be loving to visitors? Would you be loving to people that walk in for the first time or people maybe you've just never met before? Because the truth is, if you had your neighbor that you've been inviting for a while, your friend or your family member with you, you'd want everybody in the room to be loving and engaging and welcoming. And you know what? Somebody's family member is probably here tonight. Somebody's neighbor is probably here tonight, every week. And so, man, let's be the church that God wants us to be full of love toward one another, and toward every outsider that may walk through our doors. Now, this next part I'm really excited about. I really believe God wants us to step up our presence in this community. I really believe that God wants us to begin to invest in our community like never before. And so we kind of have some ideas. We've been praying about some things. And I think this is just the very, 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 very beginning of what God is wanting to do in and through us in our community. But I've just been really more and more getting a heart for, man, Nesconset for our area. I don't even live Nesconset, but here's where our church is, and here's this little area that God's given us. There's 13,387 people in Nesconset, 3.8 square miles, tiny little place we're in, but 13,000 people around us. Most of them, I would guess, don't know the love of Jesus. If you zoom out a little bit more, there's one, for, one church for every 4,300 people on Nassau and Suffolk. That's a lot of people. There are hundreds of thousands of people all around us that need Jesus. And so we're just getting more and more prayerful and creative on what can we do together to invest in our community. And here's the thing I know about this specific area, right? This concert, Smithtown, Lake Grove. It's hard to reach people here because everybody has so much. We used to have a food pantry here at the church and people would be rolling up in BMWs getting food. We were like, yo, get out of here. You know, like, get, leave, right? That's why, you know, we do our homeless ministry in other areas because people are hungry there, literally hungry, but also spiritually hungry. But here in this area, it's really tough. And I was talking with a lady, Selena, about this whole concept, but she has a real heart for the community. And she said something that I thought was just so smart. She said, you know, Doug, maybe we can't feed the people of Nesconset literal food, but what we can do is we can just make our presence known so that when they have a need, we're who they think of. We're, who we, who, we're, we're exactly who they think of. As soon as it comes up, as soon as they realize, wow, maybe I'm actually empty inside. Maybe all this stuff I own isn't the answer. Maybe my job isn't the end of it all. Maybe there's something beyond that. Or, man, my marriage is falling apart. Or, man, my friendships, I just got broken. I just got so betrayed. Or, or man, the doctor's report came back. I don't know where to turn. And if we're just being the love and the light of Jesus in this community Man, I hope this will be the first place they'll look. So, so what kinds of things are we starting to do? And some of these might sound a little odd and like, what's that really going to do? But hey, we've got to start somewhere. And so the first thing we did was we joined our Chamber of Commerce here in Wisconsin. Why? Because we want to be sure to be rubbing shoulders with the people of Wisconsin. And so we can get into these meetings with business people and we can get to know people that are you know, running the businesses down on Main Street and all throughout Wisconsin and we can begin to just continue to say, hey, we're here. We're here and God's changed our lives 
and we're here to help. Can, can we help? Can we serve you? If, if we can begin to influence the influencers in our, in our town, I just wonder what God would begin to do. Another thing that kind of works through the Chamber of Commerce is they have this concert day in September, and we're thinking about trying to get a booth there, and how cool would it be, you know, just have like a table, and there's all the businesses around us, and then there's just this table, and there's, you know, maybe a flat screen behind us just playing our service, and people going, that's your church? Interesting. I, I think I might just check that out. It kind of looks engaging, and so you never know what God could do there. Uh, another kind of crazy outside-the-box thing we've done is we've actually sponsored the Little League over there, where we play football on Thanksgiving morning. We just sponsored him so we can keep playing football there. Actually, no, we, we really want to say, hey, we're here and we want to invest in our community. But even more than that, um, there are a couple of cool opportunities that brings us. Like we get to have our banner put up. And here's why that's a big deal to me, okay? Because I have kids who play baseball, all right? And when you have kids that are like seven and under and they play baseball, you really need something to do during the game. All right, I'm just saying, right? You really need something to do. And so if our banner's up and our website's up, maybe, just maybe, as the parents are sitting there drooling, watching the t-ball game, they'll just take out their phones and Google and find out. Uh, or what if they're sitting there, and for a year or two, they don't even think about it. They, they make fun of the name, living word, world. What does that even mean? Like, I don't even know. Is it word, world? I get that all the time. I hate it. But anyway, uh, we're, we're, we'll change the name one day. Uh, Gotham Community Church. That's Joey's idea. But anyway, um, and so uh, they're sitting there, and there's the banner up. And maybe, just maybe, a year or two down the road, the bottom falls out in their life. And they go, you know what? The only church that I even am aware of in our area is, is that, that crazy banner I kept seeing, which I don't know if it's word or world. But you know what? Maybe, maybe that's something that God will do. Another cool thing is that the league will actually email the 600 people that are involved in the league a message from us saying, hey, come check out our Easter service or whatever it might be. So really cool ways to just begin to have a hand in the community around here. We want to do something just fun and silly, just do like a car wash where nobody's allowed to pay us, you know? Just get out there, just get some big signs, we'll wash cars as people come in, just say, hey, God bless you, you know, hope you have a great day, and, and let that be that. Just do things to tangibly bless our community. And the last thing I'm, I'm we're really praying about, a lot would have to work out for this to work out, but we're thinking about starting a Celebrate Recovery group here. And what that does is basically it's a, a Christian program that helps people that have been addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, have gone through loss, hard life events, lost a spouse, lost a child, or, or different things like that. And we would love to walk with people through those hard times. You know, the, the number one problem, when you talk to anybody about Nesconset or Smithtown, is drugs. Everybody says the same thing. And you know what's amazing about it? Is a lot of it isn't the kids. It's the adults. You know why? Because when you live in this area, you have everything, but you're still empty. And so you're just trying to numb that. And so what if we were to begin to offer hope to our community and say, hey, are you struggling with this? Here, here's a safe place. Come, and we want to walk with you through that and point you to Jesus who can get you out of that better than any other program can. And so that's what we can do. And just ideas, we're just, you know, tip of the iceberg type of stuff we're talking about here. And lastly, and we're just going to close in the next minute or two, is, is what can I do? This is the question I want you to ask yourself. What can I do? Here's what you can do. You can do what we've been asking you to do for years and years, and it's this, to invest and invite. Invest and invite. I love about Jesus that he was investing in the people that he ate with, right? What's eating all about? It's social, isn't it? Right? I mean, if you just thought about the, the amount of time it takes you to chew your food, it's like six minutes, you know? But 
You can spend an hour or two at a restaurant with friends, right? Why? What is that? You're investing. It's, a, it's relational. So Jesus was sitting with the tax collectors and the sinners, and the, the Pharisees said, why does he eat with them? He wasn't saying, why does he put food in his mouth with them? He's saying, why does he spend time with them? They're saying, why is, it, why is he investing in them? And so we, we want you to invest in the people in your life that need the hope of God. And then invite them to come to stuff. And it's not because we want the room to feel fuller. It's because we need to be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. We need to stay on mission. There are lost people all around us. And so will you continue to invest and invite? One of the reasons I did this message this week is because next week is Easter. Probably one of the best times to invite somebody. And so we have a tremendous opportunity next week. And you have those invites in your bulletin there. And I would so encourage you to have the boldness to invite somebody. It could be as simple as this. 10 seconds, right? Hey, this is where I'm gonna be on Easter Sunday morning. No pressure, but we would absolutely love for you to come. That simple. To your boss, to your coworker, to your neighbor, to somebody at school. What an amazing thing that could be. I'm telling you, the best Easter of your life will be the one you're sitting here with your neighbor next to you. For some of you guys, it's your spouse. You've been wanting them to have a relationship with Jesus. Or some of you kids, it's your parents. Imagine your parents that are so far from God sitting with you in service next Sunday. Now, here's the thing. You can't control whether they say yes or whether they get saved when they walk into this building, right? What, what you can control and all you can control is that you, by God's grace, have the boldness to hand them an invitation. And so that's all I'm asking you to do. And you know what? I feel as unqualified as anybody else in this room. It's easier for me to get up here and do what I'm doing right now than go over to my neighbor's house and hand an invitation. But that's what we're called to do. I don't know your neighbors. You don't know mine. And so it's an opportunity we have to reach out. And I'll tell you what, I think that investing and inviting is way more powerful than a banner on a baseball field or a chamber of commerce. The personal relationships you guys have with the people around you are what has power to bring life change. And don't feel disqualified because you're not perfect because none of us are. And there's times that we all do something we shouldn't do in front of someone we're trying to you know, point toward Jesus. And that's when we just get to be real and say, I messed up. You know what? I need the grace of God because I'm still struggling with some of this stuff in my life. But I can tell you this, God's changed me and is continuing to change me. And so don't disqualify yourself. Be bold this week. Don't be annoying, but be bold. Be bold and loving. Be like Jesus. Be attractive to those who need the hope of God. And maybe, just maybe, we'll begin to see more and more put their trust in him. And I wanna thank you because I really believe we are this church. We are this church. We are aiming at this already. We have a heart for our community and those that need Jesus. Let's continue to be that and let's step it up and more and more see God do great things. Jesus wants us to love the lost like he does. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful to you, Lord, that you came for us. God, that you pursued us, that you are the shepherd that came to do for us what we couldn't do ourselves. And so thank you for that. Thank you so much, God. That, Lord, you didn't leave us stranded. You didn't leave us to ourselves. You didn't leave us alone and stuck. But, God, you came. And we're just so thankful. I just pray now that you'll help us to have a boldness and a love and that that attractive aspect of Jesus will be true of us as individuals and as a church. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, would you just take a few minutes, begin to pray for the people in your life that you want to invite. Begin to pray that God would do something so powerful in their lives. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you heard about the value that you have in God's eyes tonight, you heard about his love for you and you want to respond to that, I would encourage you to pray a prayer, something like this, just quietly between you and him. You could say this, Jesus, thank you that you're the good shepherd. You're the one who pursues me, the lost. That God, you ascribe value to me. And it was worth it for you to leave the comforts of heaven, to come and walk this earth and die in my place and rise again. And today, I ask your forgiveness for all the sin in my life and all the sin I will ever commit. And I pray you'll save me and change me and then make me somebody who's excited about pointing others to you. Thank you for this amazing love.